What's up, Southwest Virginia? Welcome back to Beats, Brews, and Buddies. My name is Travis Schmidt. This is... Jeremy Price. Oh, today on our Beats, we're going to talk about what it's like being a local musician and journalist with our buddy, Tad Dickens. Hi, Tad. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, Welcome to the show. <laughs> I love your audience. They, they turn it off. Like on a dime. Immediately. Mm-hmm. We've rehearsed. Very well-trained audience. <laughs> what are we drinking for our brew? Oh, let me, Mr. Get, the, Price. Let me get this thing, because it's a little more dim in here. We're it drinking is. the Deschutes Cosmic Creatures IPA. Savor the unexpected with an experimental IPA that is truly out of this world. Crack one open to unleash bright notes of grapefruit and guava. You can taste the grapefruit. It's really good. I think all IPAs kind of taste like grapefruit, but I'm not an IPA guy if I just offended everybody. I believe that uh, they should probably move from the experimental phase to a full-on, this is a beer they should be sending out there. I like it. This may be already my favorite of any of the Deschutes IPAs that I've had. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. And I'm not just saying that because uh, Travis handed me one. You know. <laughs> I didn't buy it. Jeremy did. So oh, thanks, Jeremy. Thank you, You're Jeremy. Welcome. <laughs> thanks for coming. Yeah. It's my pleasure. Very comfortable in this bat cave, man cave. Here. It is a man cave, and now it's a Beats, Bruising and Buddies cave. So, Tad Dickens, born and bred in East Tennessee and a Roanoker for almost 25 years, he is 58 and has been beating on things for about 50 of those years. He has also been writing for about this, that, about the same amount of time. He would say that he doesn't do either one of them great, but enjoys them both. He has also played in country bands, rock bands, blues bands. And lately, he is a member of the alt-rock original uh, songs group Monster Atlantic and a honky-tonk act Rachel Hester and the Tennessee Walkers both in which he sings harmonies for. And if he is lucky, he has another 20 years of doing what he loves at a decent level. Welcome, welcome, Tad. Thanks so, again. Yeah, man. Um, I have a problem with one thing in that bio. What That I had to change it from first person to third person? Because he was like, hey, guys, my name's Tad Dickens. No, not how you read it. Oh. The, um, I have always enjoyed your writing. Um, I felt like uh, it, it was very short and sweet well succinct is, is the word i should use and i felt like i understood things whether it be at floyd fest or wherever i have always felt like i understood it with no question well the, thanks the things that you write that, that you journal i appreciate so, that and i've always wanted to think t- i mean i told you that i like your drumming probably drunk somewhere at a bar and and i'm certain that i was drunk as well <laughs> yeah yeah both of us both of us but i don't think i've ever had the chance to say that and uh and i mean it because it's always um there's something about um how quickly you get the point across when you write and you know, I'm not a writer myself, but I always know that I'm getting some accuracy. Thank you, Jeremy. Welcome. I really appreciate it. That's what I strive for. So, so I don't think you're bad at it. What did you say? What is actually whatever the verbiage? What whatever you said? Not great. He said not Man, great. I think great pretty fantastic. So. My my first whatever that means. Well, he's got to be great at it because he's been doing it what 25 years? You were saying pre-show? I've been um, here in Roanoke for almost 25 years, and uh, before that, I worked uh, all through college doing it as well. I was kind of a late starter in college because my first time around, I was sort of. Uh, booze buds and buddies you know for six <laughs> weeks at east tennessee state university by the time i went back i was a little more focused but um, 
did uh, did you get a, a journalism degree or did you get a degree in English? I did get a journalism degree. Okay. Probably would have helped me to have had an English minor, but I, I chose sociology instead, oh, which has kind of been man. helpful. Dude, you know? that's my man. That's my degree. Oh, cool. Sociology and crime and yeah. justice. Literally a, a living Batman, uh, just not as healthy and uh, You've been projecting all day. You're definitely my hero. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thanks. All right, Dad, let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit more about the history with your area here, man. So tell us tell us what brought you to Roanoke and what's kept you. Well, you know, I had some experience with Roanoke before I moved up here. In my past life, I played music and was with a band called Little Chicago that uh, included a guy named Billy Crawford, who used to play uh, with Carrie Hurley back in the days, but uh, that was a long time ago. Um, I played with Billy and this other group, you know, Little Chicago from East Tennessee, and we came up here, and one of my strongest memories of playing a gig was at Corn Beef and Company. It was before they had the back room with the stage and everything, and you played in the main room by the bar. It was kind of a small area, and we're back in the corner. And Billy is a fantastic guitar player. And he, uh, at, at the, in that time, which was the early 90s, was heavily into a Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix bag, like a lot of guys were. And he uh, would play like Purple Haze and and Voodoo Child. Voodoo Child was a, a song that we played almost every night. And we were playing it this night at Corn Beef and Company. And a dude walks up with a glass of whiskey in one hand and a lit napkin in the other <laughs> and tries to set Billy's guitar on fire. I guess he was like trying to replicate the Hendrix at Woodstock experience, except, you know, it wasn't Hendrix or Billy that was setting his guitar on fire was a random dude at corned beef and company. And Billy to his credit, great credit um, was playing the lead of the song with only his left hand doing the hammer ons and pull offs and whatever you do to, to make that happen and with the other hand, he's like fighting this Push guy off. off and keeping <laughs> his guitar safe from this idiot till I would say that the, the <laughs> bouncer, if you know, you would have called him that was a little late on the scene, but Billy acquitted himself well, and then this guy got dragged off. But it was very fun, and it's a great memory. It was my first real, you know, big memory of Roanoke was uh, the stage, random stuff. The happened. stage was on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. There was Roanoke no, yeah. represent, son. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That stage, like, stage is on the ground now. Like, uh, they give me a little bit of anxiety because of that. Like, don't, don't come set my stuff yeah, on fire. Yeah, set up a barricade. <laughs> Wow, that's a, that's a great story. Oh, it's very fun. Yeah. Remind me to tell everybody the story what happened at Billy's Barn with Laura, one of her first gigs. You mean after the show? Yeah, you know, okay, yeah, let's do that after. Yeah, and I hope the guests call and ask too. We'll, we'll, it was pretty Where's fantastic. The, we have a phone number? I don't know. <laughs> Just find me on Facebook. <laughs> so that's what. So what brought you to Roanoke? This job. This job, um, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, after, after all that. The you pyrotechnics. Know. The pyro, yeah. Corn beefing company. Loved all that, you know. I loved I mean, if it was crazy, you know, then I was enjoying it. Um, you know, unless people were just like trying to do real violence or something, but just wacky, you know. It does make it easy to write about, I will say that. <laughs> yeah. So I basically, you know, at one point or other decided, um, it's kind of a rootless life to be sort of at that level, traveling around long weeks, long weekends, one nighters, uh, you know, maybe if you're lucky, you, you, you have to share your motel room with only one person instead of all four of the people in the band and that kind mm -hmm. of stuff, you know, mm -hmm. you, you guys have done this and, and 
so I just decided I'll go back to college. Uh, I really loved writing. I'd always done it. So got a journalism degree. And during my time in college, this was in Johnson City, I would go into Books a Million every Sunday and look at all the papers. That was back in the days when you could walk back and see the papers from all over the country. Uh, the Sunday papers were, were on the wall, and I just started picking up Roanoke's paper. Uh, it was really good. And I was reading some stories by a few people that I thought were really impressive. So I was like, you know, eventually I might like to work for this paper. And eventually, you know, I say after college, I got a job in Bristol, eight months. And during that time, I, I was fortunate enough to get hired up here and, and came in August of 99. So let's go back to books a million because what a cool story. I miss that story because we don't have one here in Reno anymore. Right. What a, what a great story. <clears throat> but yeah, so very great right, story. That was up at, uh, Crossroads, right? Yeah. And I used to go there uh, also fairly regularly when it was around. You know what it's about to be? It's going to be like a jump place. Like a, like a yeah. Uh, the name escapes me right now, but it's certainly going to be a big, big time jumpy place, like yeah. a chain. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we're going to go. Yeah. And we're going to do the podcast there. Like what? Jumping. Trampolines and stuff? Yeah. Something yeah. Like that. But it's a chain. So it's a fairly well established spot. Um, <clears throat> if you look it up, you'll see that somebody must have franchised it or whatever. But I mean, good. I'm happy. Yeah. That would be cool. But I, I do miss books a million. Um, <clears throat> maybe maybe they can start up a, a small bookstore there. And if you get bored with your trampolining, you can read while you do it and see. Get that like, energy out and then go learn something. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Are you going to ask a question? Mm, I was well no i i was curious i was yeah um you know because I, I know nothing about it when you say you noticed that roanoke's paper was a good paper what stood out to you there i think at the time what stood out to me is the deep variety of topics they covered and the wide range of of a region i mean it was all the way down they'd write stories out of abingdon they'd go up you know mm. well into you know lexington you know rockbridge county even farther north northeast sometimes mm-hmm. and had a had a big staff you know lots of things have changed with the newspaper business but this place was you know the state of the art kind of right. you know um small city regional focused paper that had very good writers and and like one of the guys is still there, Lawrence Hammock. At the time, he was covering the the city courthouse, and I wound up, you know, because that was kind of my one of my goals was to ultimately cover the city courthouse. And I'm like, if I get up there and I hang around a while, you know, maybe I'll get that job. And I lucked out, and I did. Lawrence wanted to do other things, so he vacated that job, and I wound up there. Um, Mary Bishop was another writer who was there at the time who has. Uh, retired since, but still writes. She has a, a book out. You should look that up. Um, I'm trying to remember the title of it. Gosh, edit that part out that I don't remember the title. No, we'll just put Mary Bishop. Uh, <sighs> Mary Bishop is, uh, she's a writer that that reading her stories in the paper occasionally brought tears to my eyes. And it was like, oh my God, no crying in the newsroom. You know, I'm not crying in the newsroom. <laughs> and I would have to fight it, but she was legitimately, and still to this day can can really evoke some emotion she did a great story on bob slaughter who was a former pressman at the paper but also served at d-day and was a very strong force in bringing the d-day memorial to uh, To bedford Bedford county yeah and to bedford yeah so mary did a lot of writing about him she she wrote a fantastic story about bob um it's definitely changed like in and i don't want to say whether it's been good or bad but like personally you know one of the first articles that 
uh, actually somebody that reached out to me from the paper was in the religion section and when i was doing christian music they reached out and and uh did a did a piece on the the group that i was in and then did a piece on the the benefit concert that i i i put on with another group and like that helped uh, not only raise awareness for what we were doing, but these two young ladies that were we were benefiting to go do a missions trip, like it was like a, a whole year round missions trip, and we were trying to help them get there and, and get back. And so, like, um, I truly appreciate the paper and what it's done for it, this this county and and this city for sure. Who was the reporter? Was it Cody oh, Lowe? Oh, I have to go look at that. I've got, I've got it hanging in my band room, but mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. When we when I first came here, and for quite a few years after I was here, we had a report a religion reporter named cody Lowe, who covered it like it was a beat and he did a great job with it and wrote a column called from the back pew and and was just one of the people that made it uh, a paper that had a lot of depth for you know the, its size and and place in the country and and i've always been proud to work here i mean we'll say that um there's no secret that things have changed in the business None of it is the reporters or the editors' faults, you know. We've all tried to do what we could, but business and changing forces, the internet, Craigslist. I, I'd love to get all the Craigslist and just <laughs> throttle its neck, you know, its its metaphorical neck for sucking away all the advertising That's, dollars. But you know, yeah. you know, you have to you have to look at those things and try to figure out how I mean, to move forward. I mean, if you think about it. That's how we used to figure out and look up what what kind of car we used car we were going to well, buy. Well, all kinds of right? things, almost yeah. anything. I mean, yeah, it's just crazy how the world has turned. But um, indeed, uh, there's still you know information still widely available. It's just in different formats now. Well, mm-hmm. while we're talking about the paper, why why don't you talk about how that jobs impact did your musical career here in the valley and what's that done for you? Sure. Um, I would say from the beginning of my time here, I was not playing music anymore. I had given it up to really focus on school and I didn't pick it back up when I got here. Although after a while I started messing around with guitar and I'm not a guitar player, but I started taking lessons from Corey Hunley, who we were talking about a little while ago before we uh, hit play or record. That's what you hit. You don't hit play. (laughs) Otherwise we'd be listening instead of talking. So. Oh, my way with words. It's an amazing thing. But uh, yeah, Corey was, it still is at Kelly's Music, and he was teaching then. And I would go over there every Saturday and learned a ton off Corey, and then later from Jason Weeks, and didn't really think about playing drums. I literally put down drumsticks and didn't mess at all for like 10 years. And then the way that the job impacted me, though, and kind of changed my, you know, approach or path in music is that there were several of us over there that started shooting video uh, live video of bands performing i think we had plastic music in there at one point i don't know if you were in town but <laughs> sean and yeah yeah were you there for that i think you were is that um, the same one there mm, no something happened when i was away uh, there was yeah there was a, did they did they walk through the uh the the building Mm-hmm. playing yeah, uh, i wasn't there for that I, and and did a we had a green room at the time in the old building and that's where they set up but yes they walked through the building and just 
annoyed the copy editors knowing copy <laughs> editors like it to be quieter and I we would bring sure. in we would bring in these metal bands you know that are just like <laughs> and, and i would walk out of the green room after you know they're breaking down and just the looks that people were giving me were just evil so we tried to shoot some of this <laughs> off-site so that you know I wouldn't get murdered, you know, by an angry copy editor and God bless them because I mean, those people are correcting our horrible mistakes by the dozens every day yeah. and you really want to be nice to them. But you know, some of our music that we were recording was very loud and we started shooting it over at Jake Dempsey's uh, red room studio that he had. And that was a great spot. And one day we were in there and I saw that a drum set was in there that was set up left-handed which uh, appealed to me because I'm a left-handed drummer and there are very few left-handed drum sets around the Valley. That's the first one I'd seen. I was like, hey, y'all mind, Jake, I don't know who's, and I think it was Troy Gattrell's kit. Um, and and uh, he said, I'm sure Troy won't mind, so go ahead. So I went over there and started messing around with it a little bit. And then Jake asked me to um, if I wanted to start playing with his band that, that uh, he was in with uh, Lance Smith and, Jake, uh, James Pace, and of course Jake, and and um, Adam Baber was had recorded with them, but he couldn't do the shows, and so they asked me to play with them, and and that really started me playing with Lance. You know, this band was called Sinking Creek, and it didn't last for too long because Jake actually went and started that uh, Pink Floyd tribute band, that, or he he got involved in that, right. and also with the floorboards. Um, you know, Jake. He's done so many different things. He's, he's, you know, at the top of his game as far as being able to play just about any style. To go on a tangent, saw him down at Rooster Walk playing. He was one of the all-star band that uh, they had hired to sort of be sit-ins and, and play a couple of sets. Like, true legitimate all-star Jeff Sipe, Apartment Q258 on the drums. Um, Ron Holloway on the saxophone. And Jake was on bass and Josh Schilling was on keyboards and vocals and, and Aaron Lunsford. And there was a fellow from Martinsville who also very good. And his name escapes me right now, but this band was as good as anybody there. And of course, Jake was right in the middle of it playing these inimitable bass lines. Sounds just like Jake. Yeah. <laughs> he is that guy. He you know? is that guy. He's absolutely that guy. And I loved it. And so I wound up playing with Lance. He started Monster Atlantic. And so I was playing drums again after a long time of not playing. And I l enjoy it so much more now than I did when I was trying to play for a living and trying to, you know, like do something. Yeah. Less expectations from the whole process. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to have fun playing music. And that's not the attitude that I used to have. And I had a hard time enjoying it back in those days. Well, there's something to be said about putting your craft down and then picking it back up. It, it is almost enjoyable the, the second time or third time after you give it a little bit of a break i i can attest to that because that's what I, I did house of schmidt and i was front man for eight years and didn't touch drums other than at church and it's now a very different ball game and i i love it i, love I feel it. like every time you do that I mean, I mean this is a broad statement and probably not true for everybody but you your approach changes if you take some serious time away and, and it, you know i wouldn't encourage that if somebody's in hot pursuit of their skill set stay in hot pursuit of your skill set. But every time um, I've slipped away and come back for whatever reason, my approach changed the entire, like, like the reasoning for anything changed. I don't know if that happened for you, but it's just like, well, I don't think the same way. 
back yeah, here. There was a huge attitude change for me. And like, I, I picked up lessons with him again. And that was something as a 35 year old, like, why are you doing lessons? Because I need to, and I want to, you know, that's absolutely perfect attitude. There's no good time to start or stop. It's like, if you feel like you like to learn something, you know, somebody that can teach you that thing, then, you know, or even just realign the way you're approaching stuff. Yeah. doesn't even have to be, I've got to learn a specific thing, but here, watch my technique, you know, what, what's wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And I always am thinking, what's wrong? Because <laughs> I'm doing this. I'm like, why? Why can't I make it happen? And, <laughs> I'm with you. We can talk about that all if you want to. Yeah. Later. If I had time, I would be taking lessons. It would be great. So you get to obviously see and go hear uh, a lot of groups would be my would be my assumption. I have. Not as much as I used to. And one of the main things that holds me back on that is that my job has changed. I still write about music, but not as in-depth because I became the editor of the features pages um, about a year and a half ago. And it's coming up on two years. And that really uh, refocuses everything as far as how you spend your time so not nearly as many nights in the cups at martin's you know <laughs> sitting in with ben you know trout and <laughs> yeah loved those days man that's when you and i used to shoot the bull was, yeah on occasion mm-hmm. yeah yep. i was still traveling so it was just whenever, right. I, whenever i came in i just didn't want to be home it felt weird being home so i had to go out and have a few sips. Yeah, and you and Carlos were roommates at that point, weren't you? We were. I don't were know you, if we were roommates. We just, there was a time where we were hanging out a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, like we were buddies. Yeah, um, and it was. I was finishing my house. I was well. I was finishing the basement, kind of on my own, and that's when that's when we befriended each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we drank some. Uh, we drank some things in the basement. <laughs> and then we would, there were nights where like, I don't want to work on this anymore. And we'd go out and there, you'd be at the bar. And uh, it was a good time. That was a while yeah. back. This stuff it just flies. It was quite a few years back. I mean, Carlos was living here then. He was playing on almost every Tuesday night with Ben and Cameron. And guys would come in. Like, I remember when Roosevelt Collier, the, the Sacred Steel guitar player, uh, just an absolute, unbelievably talented musician. Just came in on his own, was traveling from, I think he played up in West Virginia at a festival or something, called Jason or his agent did and says, is there a band that can back him on Tuesday? And of course, Jason was like, I've got just the band for you. And they play on Tuesdays. And it was Carlos and Cameron and Ben. Mm. And I would go down there just to watch Carlos play because yeah. he's so good. And and so I would sit there for a while and, and you know, probably it had one or two more than I should have had by the time that Carlos walked up and asked me if I wanted to sit in. And uh, so I didn't, A, I didn't care. So I would, and B, I sucked because I was <laughs> in my cups and, you know, yeah. I never, never was, but I remember one night you said, I'll never forget you said, cause I was really, old, I was really old plastered and it wasn't a bad oh, thing. Good, good. No, not at all. No, no, no. You've always been very kind to me. Um, especially given I was banging around and, you know, <laughs> playing too many notes and all this stuff. And you said, you could be like Roanoke's Keith moon, man. I love it. You're crazy. You just I like remember go wild. That. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's really what I thought. You looked kind of wild to do that. I, you know, after, afterward, I stole a car and drove it into somebody's pool. <laughs> I was like, Is I that could a true be. story? No. Oh. No. <laughs> 
that would top this all, all the stories yeah it would no uh so i think i remember that night now um there have been a few times on the on the show where somebody said well there was a night you said this i'm like oh man i, I went through some dark times guys <laughs> so i never really know what, what you're gonna say i do remember that everybody yeah. like winds up saying some stuff they shouldn't have everybody said everybody does everybody does and you, you just hope that you know the person that you said it to would like uh, let it roll off of them and not be heard or take it too seriously but you were always very nice to me well, good. i always appreciate that yeah. all right i feel better yeah <laughs> but i meant that i do remember the night now yeah and, and i did i did enjoy the face you made when i first said i'll never forget this thing you said to me and you're like have that look like oh my god what you're, didn't well it's not the first time yeah. i've heard that but, nor will it be the last i love everybody man so talk talk to us a little bit more about um that side of your job um since we are a music podcast yeah. uh traveling going to see groups How, how's the roanoke valley changed yeah well first off have i actually answered any of your questions no but that's all right okay I'm just yeah. i wasn't sure i mean <laughs> i yeah. i'm bad to go on a tangent it's all right <laughs> that's what i'm here for that's why we're here yeah, yeah um how has it well i think it's grown and gotten better in a lot of ways um there's there are more opportunities to see live music uh i i think uh, over at the spot on kirk um they've kept a tradition that w started with kirk avenue music hall they've kept that going which i think for that small listening room vibe that has a, a great variety of uh styles coming in to play shows it's wonderful and like a place like on the same sort of capacity level third street coffee house which does shows mostly on every friday night they're bringing in some really talented folk performers from all over the place that are worth hearing um we went to hear abe partridge there a couple of months ago and if uh, you haven't checked him out check him out he's got a great podcast called the alabama astronaut that he did with a reporter from al.com down there in birmingham and it's about um is basically about the snake handling um uh holiness churches and the music that gets played in those churches which was largely ignored by like folklorists and field recorders because people like john lomax thought and this is like too much i'm not going in there where they handle snakes and record their music but there's value in their music and he did this great podcast about it but he also has his own really excellent uh performance and writing style cool. um the the continuing advent of five points music sanctuary has been very valuable um as we were talking before you played there jeremy with root, root lock opening for consider the source which is one, that's one of the more astounding bands that that comes around and that's a great place for them to come around and and uh you know you still got the strength of sort of the anchor of martin's being there where so many bands are this is their proving ground and they'll come through and travel through and and some you know surprising shows have been held there over the years um like uh cory henry and the funk apostles which mm. was you know just unbelievably good um and you've got you know obviously the the old standbys that that have been around forever jefferson center which has this 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 crazy amount of jazz and folk and blues and and just i mean i get blown away every year by the you know at least two or three of the performers that that they bring in 
and and wind up regretting stuff I missed. They had a woman called Samara Joy who played there a while back, who's since then become you know really much more famous in the jazz world. But she was doing she was doing uh, um, the small room, the jazz club room. And I wanted to go see the show because I'd listened to some of her music as, you know, the date was coming up. And I thought, this could be really good. This could be really So, of course, I missed it and, uh, you know, missed out on a, I was there when, you know, now she's kind of jazz famous or whatever. But um, I think it's been, it's been an interesting dynamic with Berglund Center recently because they haven't brought as much stuff into the coliseum as they used to but they're booking stuff in elmwood park which has been as you guys know you've both played elmwood uh over the years and and seen sort of you know the the logistical and sort of uh structural improvements of that venue that it's more suitable From for wooden stage to wooden, <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i have to admit i miss it i've seen some great shows on that old yeah. wooden stage <laughs> i'll never forget and one weekend renee marie and guitar shorty and james cotton played at it's like the old roanoke blues and jazz festival which mm-hmm. no longer is a thing but it was on that beat up old stage and yeah. i mean those were three great sets and up at the new places it's really nice in there so berglund to sort of bring that thought back around they have um by the time this podcast uh goes live the uh trombone shorty and ziggy marley show will have already happened yep but and and i think maybe the ashley mcbride show will have already happened but they're bringing that kind of stuff in mm. ashley might be later on in the year but it's what i got my wife uh for her birthday was trombone shorty nice yeah i but saw does she know yeah oh okay i thought you just no, i thought you just screwed fe- up back in february yeah oh okay <laughs> i don't know sorry i was like Shh. <laughs> sorry tag <laughs> You're, you're going to have to learn his wife's birthday, so yeah. Yeah, no, don't so get confused doing, anymore. And sorry to give you, you missed it. You missed her birthday. As you said, one of them is about to happen, yeah, the Ashley right. McBride, and so I'm like taking any information. No, I'm, and I'm like, you just, uh, you, okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> I saw him here last year. I think it was last summer. He played a, it was like a split bill with uh, Government Mule, and trombone shorty and his band were the headliner on that night they were switching dates uh taking turns closing the night on this run that they had been on and seeing that show i had a hard time figuring how government as good as they are could have actually closed a show that trombone shorty started because that band is. Have, have you all seen them? I, I have not. I haven't seen them oh, live. I've seen them. I've seen clips. Yeah, plenty of clips. Your wife is in for an amazing treat, yeah. as you are too, because I assume you bought two tickets for I the did. show. So, yeah, I did. I did, and great. she's taking a, a a coworker. So now I'm, now I'm ashamed <laughs> that I, I I told her, yeah, I got to go have a girl's night. Is what I said. And now, oh man, you're now, not. I'm not gonna go. Oh, she's taking. Can a, you still get tickets? Maybe. I don't know. Or is it just a night off? You're gonna have Cora. It might be a night off. So that's a good man. Have two great man. drummers, uh, including I. I can't remember the first guy's name, which is embarrassing because he's been with Shorty for years and years. Is a great drummer, 
but the other of the two drummers that played with him last year was Alvin Ford Jr., who's played with Dumpster Funk and all kinds of sort of goes back in the New Orleans funk style. Perfect drummer for that situation. Both those guys, they play off each other really well. It's a killer band. And I mean, tickets are still available, I think. We're talking about something that's already happened. You know, um, <laughs> in, in the uh, looping time a uh, flat circle of, of, of pre-recording land right? <laughs> we're talking about something that hasn't happened yet but that will have happened by the time i like that you're just you. a, you're a guest that actually pays attention to the release date that i've i've informed you about which is in july today's july 4th ladies and gentlemen happy independence day <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, man. Go America. Go America. Um, I have, uh, you know, spent the past 15 years or so focusing on dates. You know, who's playing when and where and stuff like that. And I always have to have that in mind. So when somebody says this is going to happen, you know, I put it in, especially on my own personal thing, uh, you know, with two gigs and, you know, newspaper work. You got to keep a a pretty good calendar. So I put that down and I've been focusing on it because I was like, this ought to be fun. And I didn't even realize we'd be doing it in, down here in a room that was full of Batman memorabilia. This is the coolest. So I man. told him pre-show, like, I, I kind of Googled him. Like, I do all our guests just to see. Googled what, Tad Dickens? Yeah. And, like, I read a few articles that he wrote. I, I got, I, I felt it, too. It was a little he, ticklish. But, they, <laughs> <laughs> like but, but right he, had this, ribs. he had this profile pic of him wearing a 1960s uh, uh, Adam West Batman suit. What? Yeah. When I was, I was in like, first grade, are you guys are you guys like twenty four seven besties right now? We're like, he, we're has like no, he has no idea. We're boys now, man. Yeah. <laughs> Bat boys, Bat boys, yeah. That's well, of course. Now, now, now you're talking the weekly world news. <laughs> uh, I do love it when guests come and admire the uh, accoutrement that yeah. is uh, Batman. <laughs> You really you got all the eras covered, so it's awesome. All right, so you were just talking about balancing uh, your your schedule and time. Um, how, how difficult or not difficult that is with playing with two groups around here? Yeah, well, first let me say that I'm sure that in the in answering the last question that I forgot to mention other venues and other people and other things. You talked that are about going the main on. ones. We didn't talk about yeah. like the breweries, but like you know, the breweries are awesome because I mean they they have like so much live music um i play parkway once a month with rachel and the tennessee walkers rachel hester just a a phenomenal honky-tonk singer has like all this depth of knowledge about old country music from the mid-20th century just right there in her head and can talk about it she's a phenomenal singer she's a phenomenal singer more than anything else fingers crossed she's one of the females we're trying to get for the, mm, the don't drop that night y'all should y'all should definitely talk to rachel she has an amazing family history her father hoot hester was hold on who her father's name is hoot hester it better be he's a multi <laughs> multi-instrumentalist specialized in fiddle played um with everybody in nashville also, uh, when Ray Charles came through and recorded in Nashville, who Hester was playing with him, the story that Rachel says is that uh, Ray kept firing fiddle players because they weren't playing with intonation that he heard. Mm-hmm. But Hoot nailed it, and there's a picture of the two of them together, and they look very happy, like they're 
buddies you know they no. they made a a bond through recording music together and and he was a guy who played on the grand Ole opry and and was on the old tnn back when there was the tnn network um played on the nashville now like that was their sort of uh late night you know it was sort of johnny carson tonight show vibe was and he was in the house band for that playing multiple instruments and okay, i remember that show phenomenal you know i've listened to his music and uh you know and things he's recorded and he was phenomenal and she just like picked up the torch and 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 i'm honored to play with her and her husband andrew who's a really really i mean his time and feel and tone on bass very good it's always nice you guys know to have a bass player that you just feel really comfortable and locked in with um, i got a great one right now yeah where nice uh <laughs> fix it make sure yeah yeah hair get that hair right man he's yeah. never this quiet yeah he's not really I'm voiceless. he's never this quiet <laughs> he just he just worked a full weekend at festival park he's a little tired yeah that's right so um for do, do the uh listeners know that uh this man here's on the AJ board of, yeah, yeah we, on the board of festival in yeah, the park absolutely and, and and uh, make sure that no one brings in an umbrella or lets them <laughs> bring in an umbrella yeah ultimately um i'm sorry aj i couldn't can stop myself but um <laughs> so rachel hester we're back on track you're you're playing with rachel now you just lost pj george right pj played with you at least the the one time i've seen you guys play he still plays with us when he's in town Fancy. which you know i think Lucky. with with the bands that yeah pj you know it goes without saying that uh he's got you know this incredible depth of experience and and his harmonies like uh i enjoy singing harmonies I'm, I'm not a guy who really cares to sing a bunch of leads or anything but you know when you got rachel in the band why would anybody else want to sing lead i mean pj sings a couple of leads but he's really good at it so anyway we have pretty good mix on three-part harmonies and and that's not particularly easy to find yeah. and and then you know pj which you know his guitar is not his number one instrument but he plays it really really well and then we have ernie power who's um ethan power's father um playing you know dobro so and we have you know something it's really super fun and i love it very much and i make as much time as i can to play with that band and pj when he is off the road and he's played i think with us two or three times since uh since he got his new gig which Congrats we're all super super proud and happy for that dude because uh there's a the guy who's paid dues man yeah. he's paid dues and he has uh, worked hard and he has continued to develop his talent he never rested on on anything and and uh so and, and really good dude y'all know yeah, him, so yeah. he's just a just an excellent guy so that's a fun gig and and I think that all started with me saying that, you know, all these breweries have music a lot of nights during the week. Old Salem, we play there like once a month now, and they have music on the weekends, but Parkway, they're doing it almost every night. Mm -hmm. And it's probably for a lot of people, especially people who are raising families or who have jobs where they have to wake up early in the morning, it's five to eight or six to nine, and, and you can go and hear some good music. Love the hours. <laughs> love the hours yeah and i'm a late night person myself but i do appreciate the hours i, I don't mind them at all it's it's great because then you can get home and 
do something else if you want to. All right. Mm-hmm. So I just this question kind of just popped in my head with that. Like, do do you feel like your body's just used to that because of what you what you, the way you used to go listen to groups and be up all night and then write in the morning or whatever? You just think your body's just trained to that, right? My body is a wasted husk. <laughs> a, Hold on, I'm, I'm, I gotta make notes. That's the name of the episode: <laughs> wasted husk. It's a <laughs> quote quotations. It's like a dried out giant cricket. It's not even any protein available to you know. Um, uh, no, nah, man. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I did, I did in in my old days play a lot of in in clubs and. You know, the sort of the alt-rock Chitlin circuits and like the Nick in Birmingham, the Double Door in Charlotte and places like that. And even played once um, with this uh, with a band at the Coffee Pot where like three people showed up. It was not nearly as fun a story as Corned Beef, but a couple of buddies of ours that knew us from Johnson City, and it's a completely different band, but they took us, uh, after this show, they took us over to the Texas Tavern. So I was like, I will return to this place one day. This is a great place to be drunk and eat, you know, um, greasy hamburgers. And now I'm the kind of guy who will go there in the afternoon and eat. So that's, I, I feel like I'm actually... That's another, a Roanoker. That's another you, place. You are. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah 100%. For 20, 25, year, 25 years, right? It'll so, be 25, yeah, sure enough. Coming I mean, up in August. You, the cool thing about you is that you've got to experience all of Roanoke and all of its music venues, I think, because of your job. And you've really got to experience the, the vast... Um, wonders of all the different musicians and all the different genres that we have in this area i mean and even phases in in time you know where when i when i was getting into the scene like we had the iroquois were you around for any of that you know what that is one that i I regret to say that i missed the tail end of the iroquois was Mm. going on when i first moved here and i was Mm. very very focused on um my first year at the paper covering bedford county that was my first job here in Roanoke for the times. And so I was driving over there a lot and, you know, trying to go to sleep early ish and I had to wake up early and I missed, but it was just coming to an end. And I think not long after that, it was the ghost of Hollywood. And then it was, you know, um, what was the name of the place after that? Always there was a punk rock element to it, but it, maybe in none of those later iterations was there sort of a variety where you'd have like, you know, somebody ridic- like suicidal tendencies one night and Delma Curry the next. I'm giving examples that might not even be true. That's not but far I, from the truth, yeah. though, at all. Go ahead. Yeah, I'd heard the, you know, the the eclectic variety of the place was was legend, and I, I missed out on that. So, yeah. Um, stuck. You could see Stuck Mojo. Do you, have you ever yeah. familiar with that band? Mm-hmm. I, I still like them <laughs> uh, a lot. Uh, Stuck Mojo and then like Digging Taters the next night, which was a Greensboro band. Um, and now the, uh, the guitar player, one of the guitar players in that band runs a really, really successful studio in Greensboro. But yeah, I mean, they were they shouldn't have been on the same bill. bill. They shouldn't have been in the same week. Yeah. But the Iroquois would do that. And then you would have some bluegrass stuff. And the Iroquois wasn't... Um, there were other venues around, obviously, the Iroquois, the most well-known. And it was an era where you could go hear original music on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You might only make 25 bucks. But what we saw is a lot of people trying to create music, for better or for worse. And from that, some people went on to do things. Some people didn't. 
Um, you know, you could get like a Rage Against the Machine in one of their first iterations. Like it was just so much happened there, and I think I think it had a lot to do with the the, the way things are right now, and and probably more things happened prior to that. You know, we could ask Chuck Crush and. Uh, maybe even David Lips, yeah. uh, a lot of names who are around prior to that. But that's being, you know, 14 and going, what is this place? Like, I thought rock and roll happened at the Civic Center. And being that age, it was it left a serious mark. Yeah, I hate that I missed that. that. That sounded like so much fun. I guess I was lucky in, in some respects, though, because there was really, you know, especially from about 2003 on, there were people who were really trying to bring in music and on the smaller club level, as well as the, the larger rooms. And you saw the development of Martins and mm. you saw, um, awful Arthur's at tower shopping center, which later became growlers, which oh, for a short sweet. season had some amazing music mm -hmm. going on over they there. Did. They really did. They Tim, really did. Tim Reynolds, uh, Dave Matthews guitar player came with his trio. And I remember that place was packed. It was awesome. I missed him there. I saw him at uh, 202 Market when the short period of time when that was open. And they are so good. Yeah, that's a great man. He's a he's a just such a sick guitar player that you can't you can't really believe it, you know. No, to, it's to watch completely different thing. than what yep. you get from what he plays with Dave Matthews. It's mm -hmm. just really cool. So, yeah, and that's God, that's what I love about this this area is that if you want to go listen to country, there's plenty of spots to listen to country. If you want to go listen to rock, there's plenty of spots you can go listen to rock. If you want to go listen to jam bands, there's plenty of spots you can go listen to jam bands. And so there is a very wide variety around here. And um, I think it's really neat that you've you've gotten to cover that on a journalistic side uh, for, for quite a few years. Uh, I've been incredibly lucky. It was really good timing for me to have you know, wound up with this particular job at a time when people out there were really starting to, you know, flex their own like guts really to say, I'm going to take a chance on spending some money to bring somebody in and, and hope that people show up. And, and that led to, I mean, yeah, seen, but you know, names and you know, bands names and you know, these people. And I think that's really cool. Like you showed up to this house and I know I've met you before, but like, you mentioned Hauser Schmidt, and I I didn't know you knew that. Like, and that was really really cool for me. Like, just that moment two hours ago when I just met you. So, like, uh, that just speaks volumes to the work that you've done. I think in this town and what you've what you've written about this town too. And I hope that you continue to do so to to highlight the um, again the wonderfulness that is this town and what we're bringing musically here. Well, thanks for saying that. And, and I mean, it wouldn't be much to do without guys like you who are playing music, playing out, being creative, working with other people, you know, trying to bring bands together. When House of Schmidt was over, you looked to put together another band and I'm still doing it. God knows how many things you've done, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> A lot. So many things. And um, I remember uh, one that uh, you had that I thought was really cool, but I don't know that it really lasted that long, but One Loud Secret, that was a pretty oh, fun band. And you were playing guitar on that, Yeah, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we started up in Vegas. So Stomp had a show in Vegas, and, and <clears throat> I was working there with my future baby mama. Yep. And um, I did not play any drums in Vegas, uh, aside from plastic music, because we, we had a lot of things percolating there, lots. And uh, everything fell through, so plastic toured on the college circuit. 
I was great. I learned a whole lot. I learned more than I ever wanted to know um, <laughs> about that side of the business. And, you know, I'm thankful for it now. But we just decided to put something together. I always loved playing guitar and never approached it from the I want to be a good guitar player. I never approached guitar that way. Still don't. And I found a certain freedom there. Like, I just want to play what sounds cool. I used to make fun of my friends to say that. Right? No, bro, just play what sounds cool. And I'm like, you can better yourself, buddy. But that's how I used to be. And I still am in certain certain things. But I re- really felt free. We wrote a couple tunes and I uh, recorded a demo. And it got picked. Like three people talked about it in, in some publications. And next thing you know, we were playing like four nights a week. We were making zero money. But at Vegas, you can play original music all day long and make, you know, a couple of bucks, maybe get some food. It was, it, we nearly won this battle of bands. It was great. It was a great time, but I felt so footloose and fancy free, but I'm surprised that you remember that. And as, as you know, Travis was saying, you know, remembering house of Schmidt and all these things, like you're one of your jobs is to pay attention and help spread the word. And I was always appreciative if that happened with a project I was in, but now doing this podcast, I understand the true value. Yeah. In trying to help other people and trying to communicate for other people and bring people together and, and exposure, you know, not, not the play for free type of exposure, but that part of it, I wouldn't say I completely overlooked, but I have a, a total different opinion of it now. And, uh, and, and, you know, you've been doing that for forever and that is invaluable. Like I said, been incredibly lucky. It's Thank you been, for paying attention. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> Thank you for coming to our town and paying attention. <laughs> you know, we're talking about JP George. We, you know, we're talking about all these people come from here and do big things. Um, oh, no and, doubt. And you know, now we got the breweries, so more people get. To, did I say that right? Brewery. Did I call him PJ George earlier? <laughs> That's his name. Oh, he just accidentally said JP. Just said JP. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know I JP. have dyslexia, and I do that all the time. So sorry. Didn't mean so, to tell my bad, bro. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say his name wrong. <laughs> Oh wow! My God, we got sound effects here. That was for me, and you know it. Um, That's my favorite, though the the sad trombone thing. I got lucky, but you know, now there are more opportunities to play on a nightly basis. Uh, More ways for people to meet each other. Who knows what's going to come from here in another ten years? You know, and I think we're a part of that. All of us in this room are very much a part of that, and we we can be. you know, uh, just facilitators in that regard. I think it's, a, a, I don't know. I love it. I'm enjoying uh, it. No, I love, lo- I love that opportunity. I love having that, um, being in that position mm. for sure. Um, yeah, I think that uh, paying attention now, to, since you were talking about what can come from what's happening now, uh, paying attention to places like uh, the spot on Kirk and, and the coffee pot, which still has through all these years and, Whatever changes have gone on over there still has a pretty cool, you know, live indie, often crazy live music scene. Mm. And and some really cool bands are still playing over there. And, and the Milk Parlor and Blacksburg is another one. Those are both places that I, I will just be perfectly honest. I have a hard time getting the people that run the music there to let me know what's going on. Mm. And I'll see something on Facebook like the day of that you know something amazing you know with some kids some young up-and-coming players are playing there and i'm like um a i'm sad i couldn't get it in the paper and b i'm glad that that these kids are 
working on stuff and doing things bands like her majesty and orange culture which was good and then i think they split up and i don't know if they're going to get back together but they were a fun band and people like dylan dent and you know you, you look around and see young people playing and trying to and creating original music and even if it's not my style i'm like i gotta have an appreciation for that because they're they're not just like doing the tried and true easy way to you know make a few bucks which is what i so often did when i was playing music i would take the easy way out so many times and they're doing things that people not necessarily going to love but they also at the same time are developing fan bases that people do like yep so i I think we're going to see a a slow uh shift in that and i'm and i'm maybe that's i'm projecting a hope into uh into the Roanoke Valley, but like um I'm I'm seeing more hip hop artists come out of 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 the shadows and I think there there's gonna start to be a little bit more of a following and they're gonna start playing more places where there's gonna be more of a want rather than and I'm not saying the, the country and the rock and the jam stuff that we do so well here is gonna get pushed aside. I think it's just gonna be added flavor um here in the valley and at least that's kind of what i'm hoping to see because there's some really talented people um in this valley that do those kind of genres of music in there uh and they write songs and they write their own stuff yeah and there's room for it um just the the palette of all kinds of different music i i sometimes wonder and hope that somebody you know some club person or night spot person will step up and say i'm going to consistently host stuff like this i'll say it again about the coffee pot they've been pretty good about like Dude, they have metal accept, over there yeah they like, have metal they have hip-hop they have punk they have hardcore they have like i saw uh, you know somebody over there like a folk act from philadelphia coming through and it's just like it's it's almost um it may not be as legendary for you know the names that come in yet as like when y'all were when you were talking about the Iroquois, but that variety is mm. very. I love I love the fact that they do that. It's like and, it's like the house itself is is more legendary than the acts that yes. go through. I feel like you could walk in on a Wednesday and get your ass whipped by Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Yeah. That's what I think. You'd have Road to dig house. him up first. But, um, well, I know that, but but is that not a roadhouse? When you dig him up, he'll say, pain don't hurt. Pain no. don't hurt. I'll, I'll get that roadhouse. That, that high heel boot roundhouse to the face. <laughs> One of my favorite movies. All right, so I'll tread, I'll tread carefully with this next question and just answer it to where you're not going to imp- uh, indict yourself in any form with your job, but um, you know, share share your thoughts. Share your thoughts on what you would like to see be done differently in this area. And I mean, you speak you've spoken very highly of this area. Um, I'm not I'm not trying to start fires, but what 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 are you looking for? I would say one thing that I I wish that we could see that that is probably a little more difficult because of just the way. The, the remaining structures of this town are is that we don't have a place like uh, the National in Richmond or mm. uh, the Jefferson Theater in Charlottesville that's a little adaptable to, you know, a different, different sets of crowds. Um, Jefferson Center, which is a room I love, and I probably reviewed more shows there than any other venue and have seen some amazing things in that room 
it's it's a lot harder the way it's set up to bring in a, a rock band and people just get down on the floor and and like go nuts because there are all these chairs that are you know fastened down to the floor i only know this from what i heard the other day because unfortunately i missed this show but father john missy was here at the jefferson center recently and i have a couple of friends who went to see it and they said it was a rock show it was like he was like rock star level charisma and performance and his band was great and that he highly encouraged everybody to get up and rock out and they did and i'm sure from what i'm told just fantastic you can't get that for every show at jefferson center you know that's that's a place that relies on um you know like a a subscriber base that you can't always bring in those kind of shows and maybe it'd be great if one day they were able to make some of those seats out front removable or you know sort of like in the model of 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 the national where you know there are multiple levels and then there's that floor that you can put seats down yeah you can't have a sit-down show you can't have a stand-up show as well which the harvester is kind of built like that but that's down in rocky mountain so uh, you know what about so to play devil's advocate with you what what about grand theater well they're doing that yes again uh, and and i'm gonna say uh it's it's uh maybe about a 400 right 400 you're, you're capacity probably, probably right yeah. yeah that that main room yeah yeah i like uh i like the idea of a 1200 capacity and they were i think there used to be big theaters in roanoke that got torn down years ago do you you guys are from here do you do you have you ever heard of, of my head if there was that one out at crossroads oh. and then that thing went through some 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 phases but i can't say that it would hold 1200 people maybe yeah. maybe eight okay but it's also a low ceiling, mm-hmm. if, if that matters. In this I think conversation it does. We're having. Now that you mentioned it, I'm glad you mentioned it because I went to see Palmyra at uh, the Granite Theater a couple months ago. They played. It's a really good band. Um, oh, um, Sasha Landon yes. from Roanoke Sa- is in Sasha that band. Went to Patrick Henry. Uh huh. Yeah. Sasha, an incredibly talented performer. Um, Sasha got together with a couple of other performers, um, musicians at James Madison University, and they've been around all up and down the East Coast. Um, no longer based in Roanoke. They were living in Floyd for a while, but now based, I think, in Richmond. At any rate, they came and played. It's sort of, uh, you know, to, to put it in a perspective, like. Uh, Avett Brothers and Mumford and Sons category, older Mumford and Sons before they tried to do whatever they, they're doing now. And they're really, really talented. So point being, they played at the Grandin Theater to a big crowd. And that room sounds amazing. Yeah. That's that room just like I was just in love with it. The drum sound was killer, um, which that's always like the first thing for me regardless of whatever else is going on i want the drums to sound good the drums sounded fantastic they put no plastic in front of it you know it's not baffled in any way it's or fiberglass i should say those things like which you could do in a room like that it's smallish it's about 400 in that neighborhood but man what a that's going to be a really good room i don't know given everything else they have to do because they're still doing movies there um and that's the main theater so saturday night friday night maybe not but um it makes me wonder with with how movie tickets are going 
are, are decreasing over over time. Even these big uh, comic book movies that everybody's all enthralled with. Yeah, and I, have went, been. I went and saw Little Murphy yesterday and there was nobody in there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is I think that, that movie tickets and going to the movies is almost uh, a dying uh dying art and i i think it's so easy to, to rent it from home now just pay the 25 dollars and rent it from home and watch it and then you get to keep it on digital copy you know so like i don't know what i'm trying to say is that i think that might be where what the new business model for for grand in down the road i don't know i again i mean you might be right ultimately i know that uh they're still you know doing first run stuff in there and i would assume they're still drawing i don't really go to see uh, a whole lot of movies lately in fact the last one i saw there was in one of the smaller rooms um manchester by the sea which is like as bummer a movie as casey affleck yeah yeah it was like oh my god i wanted to open a vein after you know by the time (laughs) that movie was over it was in one of the smaller rooms and so there were like maybe 10 people in there and yet you know it's like that's but they they have lots of first run stuff down in the main theater and, and Ian Fortier, who's done, I think there's an amazing job of sort of guiding that venue since he took it over and sort of thinking of alternate ways to make it make sense may be looking at something like that in the future. But for now he sees it as, you know, where they basically were just booking bands for Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And then they had one show that was scheduled for a Thursday they had uh, Paul Meyer, which I was talking about, and Jared Stout Band, which unfortunately I missed. And then they had a band, an Americana acoustic, like no drummer act, which I unfortunately also missed. They were coming in from out west somewhere. And that room is great for that stuff. Yeah. And, and so to your point, absolutely, that's a good one. Um, and we may never, this town may never have had a theater that big of what I'm thinking of along the, the sizes of, of the national, which is a really big room. Oh, it's um, such yeah. a cool room. Too. Yeah. Such so. a cool room, but you could, yeah, I would love to see the Jefferson center, like take out those seats and put in some, you know, some mobile seating so that if you want to do something, you know, different from the programmed stuff and they are doing that stuff, Jamie Booker, who has become the the person who does the it's great that well now she's jamie cheatwood i knew her as jamie booker for so many years sometimes mm. i still call her that but jamie cheatwood uh betrothed with doug cheatwood who is one of the more fascinating musical people around here the bastards of fate did y'all ever see them yeah yeah, yeah so much that. fun what? so much fun um and I don't know if he's doing a lot of music now, but he should be. He should always be doing something. Anyway, I haven't seen his name in a while. No, no but there was um, a few years ago. I mean, you all over the place, everywhere you looked. Yes, the bastards of fate. Bastards of fate. They they were playing all the time, and had a really great different sound. And Jamie has been at Jefferson Center now. I think she's in her third year there, and really started hitting her stride this year with some of the books the booking that that she did i think the father john misty thing was a big deal and i i kicked myself you know you guys have me in here because i'm this music reporter guy and i didn't go see that show and it's probably you've been naming it, so many yeah but you can't do it all <laughs> like i'm surprised you didn't bring a notepad yeah you can't do it all like what you've done is is much appreciated and uh 
I can't, I don't know if I know of any other music journalist in this town um, to the same level. I'm, I'm sure there have been some, some um, crossfire in terms of, you know, are there any other exclusive music journalists or were there? Um, There's been a couple town. of other and still are like websites that, that pop up and, and um, will put out listings and, and do some, some interviews and stuff like that. And it's really harder to do without sort of a company backing you unless you can like, you know, can figure out a model in which you're spending half of your time doing the writing and reporting and the other half of the time selling ads. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, tough gig you know to, well, to do that i'm even talking about specific reporters yeah. i know there are other reporter other uh, reporters that cover music and venues and artistic activities but over the last 25 years that is you in, in my brain and i'm sure i'm not the only one and um same for you aj he's never been this quiet um <laughs> yeah and i know there are more so i'm not i'm not saying yeah. that i'm not I'm fully aware of that, but it's the, the name and, and the job of, um, they're synonymous for, for me. So there's, don't be hard on yourself. You can't remember everything. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot do it. Once again, you're being very kind to me. Thank you very much, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Um, I, and that's probably the thing that's the coolest about all this sort of part of the thread is that, there's so much going on that mm. you can't keep track of it. You can't do all of it. That was that show was on a Monday or Tuesday and was just a hair's breadth of being sold out. That's more than 900 people in that room on a on an early weeknight. Mm. So that's a great sign for Roanoke and and the kind of acts that you can bring in here and and sell and and have people. My uh, I was told that people came from multiple states to see Father John Misty in Roanoke. So this is a, a city that's easy to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's well, always plenty of accommodations, plenty of restaurants. I mean, there's lots to do. So Great routing town yeah. for performers because of its location off the interstate. And, so and we've talked about that a lot. It is a routing yeah. town for sure. Yep. So you can get you can get weeknight stuff. Even if it's tertiary, you're st- you can still get some really good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I say tertiary, and that makes it sound like less than. But I mean, we're talking just a hundred thousand no, people. We, so Martin's yeah. is a be great realistic. place for a Thursday night, absolutely, for, so that they can go down to Charlotte and play the Friday Saturday. Absolutely, it really is. So um, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, I like the word tertiary. tertiary. I, I saw. Speaking of tertiary, I think it was uh, the the former drummer for the Sword. Who who is a cave spring guy, who once called Roanoke a tertiary market, and and uh, then they wound up playing here um, to like a huge crowd at Martin's. Martin's had also had like driving and crying. Mm. They had um, I mentioned before Corey Henry and the Funk Apostles, which was probably I'll say that show actually became one of the top five shows I've ever seen anywhere. Because I, I can imagine this is why. such an amazing, <laughs> you know, he's he's a killer player. Everybody in the band is killer, um, and he had these two women singing with him who were just like they they should be fronting the band. You know, it's like he's a good singer. Either one of them could have carried the show all night, and they were harmonizing great. And when they had their chance to 
make a lead they just killed it and that's yeah i'd like to i'd just like to live in that show you know some of those shows you, you both of you i'm sure have been to ones where you just i just want this to go forever i oh, just yeah. want it's oh, like yeah. i'll take a nap and when i wake up it's still going on or i can rewind it in my head it's, it's just it's killer just to be able to see that in martin's on a you know and i think that one might have actually been on a weekend which yeah. makes it even more unusual because he's a guy he hasn't reached that point he's such a talented keyboard player and and he writes good songs too that you think and he came out of the snarky puppy camp mm -hmm. and you think wow he should be headlining jefferson center but he did play there once with the nth degree in the smaller room the fostec hall which is another room that sounds fantastic and seats like a couple hundred maybe 250 or something like that and just the amount of shows that they bring in there so much you know, like great jazz stuff you're familiar with uh familiar with uh keith carlock right oh yeah yeah he was here was it earlier this year or late last year really? playing with wayne krantz and tim lafave it was just a trio, Krantz's trio. How did I not know about this? Uh, you must have missed the paper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Touche. Unless I was something. Man, Keith Carlock is a monster. And and that's exactly what he was on that night. That's, he always yeah, is. Yeah, always. Never always. fails. He's just that guy and yeah. will never not be, it, it's, it appears. And, and Wayne Krantz is just got one of the most inimitable guitar styles and tim lafave who played you know he was on the david bowie black star album and also played with tedeschi trucks band so but he's a jazz guy so he plays with krantz and just doing all this weird noise stuff in the middle of you know splitting his time between the the textural and the and the and it just just like the grooves that you just could not you know make those right break up or be distracted in any way he was just completely there with those guys so much fun in that in that small room you know and that happened again goes to jamie booker and cyrus pace jamie cheatwood i'm sorry doug and jamie <laughs> gosh nope. well i'm gonna blame it on the to topo chico margarita hard seltzer which is my second beverage only my second beverage of the evening but it's already breaking my brain cells. so uh i'm of the opinion that roanoke is a, is a special place from all of my traveling and and i've seen some some places like um so i've seen some cities that held a lot of talent and i'm really fascinated by smaller cities that hold talent and how that circle um supports itself and carries itself and i think we're one of them um and that's part of the reason we do this podcast but I'm of the opinion that you are quite a big part of that uh, in terms of sharing and reporting on the things that come that come from the town. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, and continue continue to help us. Yeah, because this you're helping us just by being on here. So oh, true. thanks. This was fun. Yeah. So we're going to the point of the podcast, which you might know. Welcome to the Buddy Gauntlet. Oh no. Three questions I didn't prompt you on, <laughs> but they're not given by me. We they're get to talk a little, uh, talk to Tad about Tad talk a little to bit. Tad about Tad. Oh no, <laughs> that's the clip. Yeah. Oh, oh no, <laughs> you only get one. Yeah. You only get one. But who's your top musical influence? Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, I gotta go back to, and I, I can never like. 
live up but Tony Williams when I first heard him play on four and more recognize this guy was 17 years old at the time and he had been doing it at that level already for some time yeah when he made that record and i don't play like that i can't play like that i can't play jazz hardly at all i mean like just i can maybe maybe i can swing sometimes but that what he was doing is just still just kills me it just amazes me and and you know so I just say he's at the top of the list. Well, it's the top answer. of the list. Tony Williams, Lifetime. That was another show at Jefferson Center from quite a few years ago. Cindy Blackman, Santana. Oh yeah, yeah. When she played there, and and she was doing basically had gotten a band that was paying tribute to Tony Williams, Lifetime because he was sort of her mentor and teacher, and just straight murder, man. I mean, was, <laughs> uh, she's she's a freak behind the kit. Um, she's crazy yeah so that's but it's tony williams gotcha i just like to get the, re- the reaction to the question because yeah. everybody so many people sneak in 15 answers yeah i'm like stop it damn good it job. good job answering and listening there's no one who, who who has ever made me feel um just like so stultified it's like my i felt like my head was exploding at some of that stuff but tony yeah 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 and i love elvin Jones as well, and Dennis Chambers, and Vinny Coluda, and, and there's Jason. four but, more, and there's four more. I could do, I could do fifteen drummers, you know. Hey. I could do that'd be easy, but Tony's the guy. All right, we'll go with Tony. Who is your top non-musical influence? Mm, that's even harder. I want to say um, probably my father, because Pop was like he kind of taught me as far as the things that I do in life. Um, throwing a baseball, um, playing music, singing harmonies, writing, you know, um, I learned all that stuff from him. Now, now to be fair, my mom taught me how to tie my shoes and drive a stick shift, but you know, (laughs) I, I don't do those for a living. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But she was the better teacher of the two, but somehow he was able to impart upon me those things which have, you know, I mean, I've been lucky to make a little bit of a living at those things, but more fortunate to have been able to do them well enough that people enjoyed them some. So, you know, if I can play, if I can back up a Rachel Hester, you know, then, and, and people enjoy her singing and aren't like, what's he doing back there? Why is he What's this? the drama yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah. I don't want them to even think about that. It's like, it's her. So... I got a lot of that from from him, but that's musical, you know. But yeah. I've thrown a baseball. He was a pitcher, taught me to th- throw a baseball, and 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 just just was always on me. About it. He was like a he was like an editor too at one point in his life. So if you oh, really? spoke incorrectly, you you might be told about it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I didn't rebel against that part of it. You know. No. I, maybe I should have. I but, think it, no, it served you well. Maybe be more of a caveman or something. But he was. <laughs> He's great, and he's still with us. My mom, God bless her, she's she's been gone for a couple of years, and mm. and I still miss her with with everything. But um, he's doing well, and and you know I love to give him credit because you know he's he's did a lot for me. I hope Dad hears this. Yeah, that's fantastic. He doesn't listen to podcasts. No, but send I send it to him. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't my question. 
I know. You can change so, it. So he's change in here. It. No, no, no. We're going to go there. Oh, We're boy. Your, your worst experience working with the paper. So let me preface it that the last question uh-uh. for, for, uh, for Brooke Tolly was, what's your worst experience on, on stage as a as a uh, performer? And she answered it so greatly. So I don't know. I thought it could be fun. What did she say? <gasps> yeah. She t- you have to listen. I'll leave it as a surprise. <laughs> no, no. I don't remember either right now. Sorry, uh, Brooke. Sorry, Brooke. And that's your worst experience as a podcaster. Yeah. You don't remember what your subject said. It was the knife moment she had on stage with um, her counterpart that was playing. I couldn't tell you exactly. That's why I make notes. She yeah. stabbed somebody? Well, somebody I think was supposed to stab her, and it just went away. So I normally ask a question. No blood was spilled, though. Literally, no blood. I normally ask a question that goes along the lines of... Uh, if there's one thing you could change, you could go back and change, what would it be? But you can answer that question or you can answer your worst experience working with the paper. You know, I'm going to be brave and answer both. Oh. Yeah. Um, this is the, the question about what you would change is really difficult. Oh, yeah. Because if I change this, that, or the other thing, I might not be in a situation where I am now in which, you know, certain things about my life are, you know, I'm very happy about and Mm -hmm. and I'm around people that I care about. And, you know, I have someone that I love who loves me and that, you know, I get to work at a a job that, I mean, you guys invited me on the show. You ran out of guests. So you invite (laughs) (laughs) on the show. (laughs) But touche. <laughs> but you know, I went to I went to um, music school. Um, it was a year long program, Musicians Institute. Y'all probably know something about that place, yeah. and yeah. and there have been some really talented players came from there. I was uh, I was classmates with a guy named Cliff Allman, who was a drummer that played with Chick Corea, and he also played with Wayne Krantz. He's in, in that he didn't really he doesn't get the name recognition of Carlock necessarily, but he's a guy that plays with Krantz. He played with, he played with Korea, played with Manhattan transfer. He did a lot of session stuff. Great drummer. There were guys there, you know, um, that were really good. Another, uh, dude at that school was Ash sued who wound up marrying Sarah McLaughlin and, and was touring with her. Um, and they were, you know, married and harmonizing together when she was doing basically pioneering the whole little fair tour and, and all that. And, and these, uh, Toshi Yanagi, I'm, I'm dropping some like really obscure names here, but no, Toshi, I know Ash. I know yeah. Ash. Yeah. Toshi is, uh, the drummer, um, the, the guitar player on the Jimmy Kimmel show and has been for years. He, he played actually nowadays, in addition to that gig, he, he's been touring some with ABC, the band that, uh, you know, from back in the 80s that I think they had the Look of Love or something like that. Anyway, um, he does all kinds of different projects, um, but you can see him most nights when Kimmel is an original show playing guitar. Toshi is a sweetheart of a dude. Um, multiple other guys that didn't get famous necessarily or didn't get sort of, you know, jazz famous or whatever, um, who were just great people to hang around with. I often wondered what my career or life would have been like if I'd stayed out there. I really, you know, was like, I was itching to maybe I was like, 
I don't know if I want to be in Los Angeles. I don't know if this is my scene, you know, I don't know if the, like I'm, I'm cut out for this and stuff like that. I actually wound up going back home and wound up playing with some bands and having a good time. But I have often wondered what would happen if I changed that and would it be better or would it be worse? Anything that you think I could have gone back and done that differently. Would it have really been better? Would it have led you down a better path? You might think it could, but it could lead you down a worse path. You mm-hmm. know, I, I used to say that kind of stuff to my buddy John Schmidt, who uh, died in a in a hit and run accident and car versus human. He didn't even see what was happening, so um, he lucked out and and really didn't suffer. But but I used to ask and say to him, wonder what would happen if I did this? And he would say, you'd probably be digging ditches right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's not to disparage anyone who's digging a ditch, but you know, I have soft hands. So I don't, you know, I'm not good, <laughs> okay. great with a shovel. Anyway, um, so that's, I yeah. had to say that because that's the thing I think about is, is like, would it really be that good if you went back and changed it? You might be happy in that moment that you made a better decision. And it could be that I haven't done anything so evil yet that I, you know, I really need to go back and change that and I'm obsessed with it. And I've done plenty of stupid stuff, like yeah. more stupid stuff than you know I care to think about. But would it be better? And I don't know. So yeah. I answer your question with a question. What was the other question? Worst experience. Worst, worst experience. Oh, you know what? Okay. So. I won't say this was my worst experience working at the paper, but it was my worst experience as a journalist. There we go. Okay, that's yeah, a it was my worst experience as a journalist. And, oh gosh, I can't believe I'm going to talk about this again. But uh, it happened. It happened. And since you're asking me the question, and I'm on your podcast, and I can't just say, We're oh. pulling it out of you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really hate to even think about it. You know, it's like one of those things. He's like moving. He's clearly uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm so sorry. It's okay. You, buddy. You, it was my question. It was your question. So I, this one, if I could go back and change it, you know. Um, well, this answers both at the same time. Yeah, it really kind of does. It really kind of does. But would it have been better? Would it have been worse? I don't know. We'll never know. Uh, we'll never know. And And this is a tough one to talk about. Boy, I've stammered a lot through this, but it's tough to talk about because I don't want to implicate anyone else in the absolute effery of a situation, you know, but through a remarkable chain of bullshit events. I don't know if you guys bleep things out. That that is totally going on. This is a remarkable, you know, that went back, you know, some length of time before a show that uh, the one of the early Tedeschi Trucks band shows. When the rumor developed that Eric Clapton, who literally was, uh, you know, Derek Trucks' boss for a long time there, Trucks and Doyle Bram Hall II, and Eric Clapton probably made one of the most interesting rock guitar trios of all time on tour i don't know that they recorded much together and i'm not sure they made a live album but they should have point being that uh i was led to believe and suckered into the idea that he was that clapton was going to come out and sit in with tedeschi trucks band at a concert that happened downtown 
um, not downtown. Actually, I think this might be considered a part of downtown, but the old Victory Stadium, the River's Edge yeah. Park. Yeah, oh, definitely. And it became an absolute, just this travesty. And, you know, we reported it on the web. It was like a breaking news item. And then I was immediately contacted by Derek Trucks Management because that's how word gets around. That's how fast it gets around. Even 10, 12 years ago with the internet, you know, that that was definitely not the case. And Derek Trucks doesn't need Eric Clapton's help to make a great show happen. And who the hell told me that? And what's wrong with me? And I can't so believe you, what you did. I got a dressing down from that man's manager. Personally, his manager, Blake Budnick, I think, Budney called me. He had my number. I don't know how he got it, but he got it. And he ripped me a new one. And, of course, okay, within the space of 20, 30 minutes, we had a breaking news item, and then we corrected it. And that was the end of it. I caught so much hell over that. I caught a lot of hell over it, you know? I mean, and one of the reasons why I didn't want to talk about it now is that it's only in the past couple of years that nobody mentions it anymore. But, you know, every now and then somebody will say, hey, Eric Clapton's playing with so-and-so down at the coffee pot or whatever, oh, you know? Oh, and they, they, and they like, rag you on that? People had uh, ragged me about that pretty uh, hard, yeah. And, you know, and You know what? It's an <laughs> honest mistake. Yeah, it's a mistake. And, yeah, and so it was. It was. Uh, it was a mistake. Uh, I, I had a moment of being uh, I pulled into, and and the story about how it actually happened. Um, I really, you know, I'm not going to pull anybody else into it, but I did at the time pull somebody else into it who was the person who told me, who confirmed that it that was Clapton was coming. Yeah. And it was somebody who was backstage and didn't really know, but was being fooled by somebody else, oh. like being pranked by somebody else. And and I pulled this person into it. Great human being, awesome person. Just saying, you know, in the story, the, the original story that person A, you know, confirmed that. And he shouldn't have ever said anything like that. But mm -hmm. the first time we heard about it was someone, this is how bad it was. The person who was pranking person A had started spreading it around like a nut. You know, why, why did he do this? That I was hearing from people in San Francisco who were out there on the road Hey, did you hear Eric Clapton sitting with this? This was just like oh, it, it had become like a thing, but it had a history. It already had people, you know, somehow. And again, hence why they got so upset about it. Yeah, they. Yeah. So my they, boss, they knew know, what a farce it was. Yeah, but. yeah. One of my bosses was super. You know, he was like, "I want you to write it." You know, like an apology. Like, yeah, it was. It was. Dear like, Eric Clapton, tell the world how you fucked up. You know, <laughs> like oh tell the world gosh. why you fucked up, and and it was a rough time, man. It was a rough time. I really started to consider, like, why am I even in this business? You know, it was like crazy. And ultimately, though, I've said to you multiple times that I don't want to pull this person or that person into it in the retelling of it. Now, ultimately, it was my fault. When I go back and look at it, I should have done. I should have been a better reporter i should have the time to have reported it would have been when eric clapton stepped on the fucking stage because otherwise who cares why yeah. do we need to have that breaking news but 
it happened and and it's been a it's been a lesson to me going forward you know good for you for owning it though very man. hard to like you know yeah you a, you own it well and I, I hate that we brought it back up on the podcast i'm actually it's kind of fun so, so, yeah. um, i'm over but, here chuckling because it's a great story that's a great story even though i, I know yeah, it's at the mercy good, of your mess good on you for accident. owning it but i shared something some uh on facebook the other day that really hit me i share a lot of goofy stuff and it's some some important stuff to me but um you know, uh, I guess it was Diamond Dallas Page talking about how you were. People are only going to remember you for your mistake. It's a really pitiful part of society. You can do good for years yeah. and make one mistake, and everybody jumps on you. Most of those people jumping on you and not letting that go are people that don't really have the gumption to do anything on their own. Mm. And uh, I stand firmly there that, in that opinion. And uh, so, so that is just the nature of those folks. I. And what's more is that you own and admit the mistake, even though it's explicable and so, explainable in some way. So, good for you. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, good that's, for you. We're all growing and learning, and we, yeah. we, you know, we're gonna be that way, uh, hopefully, for a long time. You know, you never stop learning. But I love that you shared that story with us. I hate that we brought it up, though. <laughs> yeah, well, you it's, know, it's uh, Travis Schmidt's fault. I kind of wish this was the Beats, Brews, Buddies, and Heroin podcast because I'm ready to open a vein right now. <laughs> sorry, buddy. I'm sorry. Well, you get to set up your song for us. What, talk to us about this song before we end oh, the show. We haven't talked about Monster Atlantic much because I've been bragging about Rachel so much, but I love these guys. And it's a really fun band to play in, and it's really been, especially over the past couple of years, much more of a getting together and just being creative and and being a recording kind of you know we want to we're we we don't play out much and i'm not sure if that's because people don't want to hear us or because we're not very good at booking ourselves or what but you know we play the occasional gig you know and and most of the time we sit around and when we rehearse we rehearse all these original songs that that uh, lance and matt write and they're fun they're fun songs to learn their fun songs to play and it gives me a chance to you know and everybody in the band but for from my own perspective it gives me a chance to be creative within a framework of playing for the song and trying to come up with different drum grooves that aren't like egocentric drum grooves but that feel like they fit the song and and maybe not improvising them but really listening and trying to think what can i do to make this you know move forward and and i'm not even sure that this song is the best example of that but i think it's a pretty good example of that and i got to sing harmonies on it and and it was fun to record it and so lance sings great on it and we got uh you know matt stump playing guitar on it um and jason davis is we've gone back and forth with a couple of different bass players. Um, we had Jason was our original bass player and then he left for a while. And Alex Ayers, do you all know Greg Ayers, Greg, uh, he was a really good musician, uh, that moved up to Detroit a few years ago, but he, he hung around and played with like, he was a lot on a lot of those, uh, blues barbecue gigs when you were not around town. And I don't know that, that you would necessarily, you, you're a family man would have been down at blues barbecue on a Tuesday or Wednesday night listening to, you know, I was when I was single. So yeah. the blues barbecue was right there, uh, next to 202, right? Yeah. So yeah, I, I went and saw, uh, him and a group called Andre new play a few times. Um, 
I missed that band. I remember that that band was around. Jody Enzer used to play there, so I Mm -hmm. I saw him. So yeah, they had a they had a really nice um, scene that was going on there with James Pace and Bernard Hairston, and Carlos was usually playing drums, and uh, Brock Grocklo would often come in, and the man with two brains and play saxophone and guitar at the same time. And they had lots of cool stuff was going on, and and Greg was often the guitar player, and he recommended Alex, and Alex joined us for a while and left, and Jason came back, and man, none of this is getting to any sort of point, and you, I would feel free just to like, here's a big long space right here that that can just be chopped off, you know, but. Um, it's the, the TLDR version is that I'm not sure. I think Alex is playing bass on this, but it might be Jason because we made this album a couple of years ago. And so what's the name of the song? It's called, um, rocket girls. It took me a minute. It's like all that build up, and I was like, what's this? I don't know. I feel like, Hey, I'm guilty of looking at set lists and even songs that we write. And I'm like, Oh, okay it's that one yeah, yeah. yeah i'm glad you're not the only one no dude at yeah. a certain point the, the the hard drive is full my friend and yeah. i'm better not trying to remember every last detail i'm just happy to get there and make make it happen mm-hmm. <laughs> well i gotta ask because i know when travis is playing and and i missed y'all at festival in the park this year mm-hmm. i was at rooster walk that day how'd that go it was fantastic yeah awesome yeah. great We'll been, be told, sure. been told we should have been the headliner. Oh, man. Well, you know, next year. There's always next year. Yes, sir. Um, be sure to keep sending me those invites so I, I can come out and hear you all play. When are you playing out again? This weekend. Yeah. Don't know when. We're in the future. With Root Lock? No, no. Root Lock is maybe once a year. Root Lock has really? some really interesting um, writing plans, and we're going to approach mm-hmm. things differently. That's where that's where uh, a lot of my, my personal... Um, interest lies mm-hmm. is with that group. Um, it's a very interesting thing. Yeah, well, but I'll I'll let you know. I mean, th- those guys can only get together uh, once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. I hope that changes next year, but my hopes aren't up. You still play with Lolo Chariot? Lolo Chariot. We had no. all weekend, and I'll be with Andy Burnett this weekend. No. Um, playing a lot, man. I'm having a good time. That's awesome, man. Because yeah. you're such a killer drummer. It's always fun to hear you play. Well, and, thanks, man. I and I don't it. get out as much as I used to, but I used to remember when when I would catch you. I was like, "Here's a guy. I just enjoy listening." He gets you know? it. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ted. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Really, really appreciate you. That's man. fun thanks to hang for out your with you guys. Vast knowledge, and we really have enjoyed this. So. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Beats, Breeze, and Buddies. This is Rocket Girl. This is Rocket Girls. All right, yeah. enjoy.
Stressing. 